This week we're talking about whether cursing in different languages makes you stronger. You don't have to cuss to have fun, but it sure helps. It's more research required. Science and technology. Hello and welcome to More Research Required, a podcast where we create research methods for the studies that no one will ever pay us to do. I'm Amy Giacomucci. And I'm Abby Norling-Ruggles. And right off the top, we want to say that this episode is going to contain a lot of swearing because we're talking about the linguistics of swearing and also like the neurobiology of swearing, I guess. Yeah, and also we're just, Abby has a terrible, terrible obsession with cuss words. Okay, that's not what I said. I swear a lot. I do not have an obsession with Custler. No, you're poisoning the ears of children everywhere, always. Um, for people who do not know Abby, this is a joke. And it's not true. <laughs> Thank you for clarifying for the uh, zero people listening to this podcast who don't know us. I know, but maybe someday someone will find this in a time capsule, and I don't want them to smear your name on my behalf. I mean, okay, but the other thing is that, like, swearing is not bad. It's a taboo in our culture and every culture, but, like, there's no negative consequences to saying fuck. (laughs) I'm calling the police right now, Abby. (laughs) I'm calling 911 on my phone as soon as you get off the line. (laughs) <laughs> oh, you're going to let us record the podcast first, and then you're going to call 911? Yes, I have kids to feed. I have rent Do to you? pay. There are, like, some birds that are in my backyard sometimes, so, like... Close enough. Those can be my children. Anyway, <laughs> so, we're talking about the ways that swearing affects your strength, and also just the way that swearing is super weird and not like any other part of language because we're linguists and it's gonna it's so happen. cool. I mean, I did just say that I don't have an obsession with swearing, but it's so cool to talk about. I mean, it's also like, I feel like a really accessible area of linguistics. All the, you know, undergrads love to take the, the taboos class because like, that's the one where you get to say fuck a lot. <laughs> I feel like I, I'm gonna keep do like saying the curse words, but like they are gonna lose their impact. <laughs> you don't know that for sure. I don't think. I think I am going to laugh every time you say fuck. Um, <laughs> but yeah, like curse words have a lot of weird syntactic properties, and I think that we should get over talking about them early so that you know we don't spend 20 minutes in the end of this podcast sort of dragging it on. Okay, so the, yeah, we we can talk about linguistics quickly, and then we can like mostly move on from that. Okay, so cuss words don't fit into our pre-established lexical categories for a lot of reasons. Yeah, no, right? They, I mean, they start as regular words for the most part, like a lot of nouns, some verbs, but then like the way that we use them just doesn't match up to that so much yeah like for example when you say the phrase fuck you there is no assumed subject for that sentence so like you can't put another verb where fuck is and have it make sense um so if you were to say like hit you to someone 
that means nothing. That's meaningless. But as soon as you put in a curse word, that's a verb, then it's fine. It just goes by. It doesn't need an implied subject and it's not an imperative. And right, there's not even like a metaphorical sense that like you would actually, that you're, you're actually right, like commanding them to have sex or like saying that someone should have sex with them. Like it's not, it's not about that. It's just the word fuck. Right. That also stands for things like shut the fuck up. Like what word can you put in that will do the same thing as that? There's nothing. Which is also related to the fact that curse words are the only infixes in our language. Oh, I knew you were going to get to that one. I mean, we can't talk about fuck without talking about how it's one of the only infixes in the English language. I think it might be the only infix. Well, I think you could probably use other ones, right? I mean, you can use derivatives of fuck, like... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, sorry. I misunderstood. Unfreaking believable. Right. So for those who don't know, an infix is like a suffix or a prefix, but it goes in the middle of a word. Uh, in English, the only examples are taboos or ones that follow that structure, like unfucking believable. And like again, you can't really do that with other verbs, like uncooking, believable, and other like gerunds either. Right. I mean, you can do unfreaking believable, or even I think you could do ungoddamn believable. You got, but you know, it has to be a word in this category of you know words that we say to express emotion and are kind, you know, like, some of them are taboo, some of them are, like, replacements for taboos, but, like, yeah, they're their own weird, fascinating category. Yeah, it's so interesting. If you ever have time to look into it, our advisor, actually, Donna Gernapoli, wrote a lot about taboo language. Everyone writes about taboo language, honestly. It won't be that hard for you to find. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. (laughs) It's the gateway. Oh, it's so hard for me not to talk about where you can put the fucking infix in things. Okay, like, that's not relevant to our topic today, though. I know. We, we have to save it for another time. It's related to stress. <laughs> and also just like every conversation that we have like with other linguists that comes up so often because it's super rad. It's so great. Anyway, but we have to talk about other things related to the linguistics of fuck specifically right so specifically i mean not not fuck specifically also like shit but also like i don't know cabron i was gonna do the the like asl fuck but like that doesn't work because you can't see me (laughs) yeah um just like go on signing savvy and look it up fuck is on signing very literal it's like extremely literal probably Like, you make a little person with your hands, and then you make two of them, and you put them in sort of a a place, like, like as if they were having sex. ASL is good. It's a good language. It's a very good language. Anyway, but that's not what we're <laughs> talking about either, except sort of in passing. What we're talking about is, uh, if you haven't heard about it, there was a study which was sort of talked about. I believe in May of this year, that's what I found, is that um, it was presented on on a conference in May of this year, has not been published yet, but specifically describing the effect that swearing can have on physical strength. So they did a couple experiments on with an exercise bike and a hand grip that showed that people had a stronger grip and produced more power when they swear a lot. This has not been published, but it does corroborate previous uh, studies or sort of make sense with, I guess, previous studies that swearing increases your pain tolerance and your tolerance to cold. And our question is, do these observed properties of swearing vary depending on your country's level of regulation of taboo language? 
was that Richard Stevens or was that um, a different researcher? I believe that was Richard Stevens, but I'm not 100% sure. Okay. We'll put it on one of our social media websites that we have not. Yeah, Dr. Stevens. Okay, cool. Richard Stevens. Yeah, he also did one related to... They did one that was inspired by watching videos of the ice bucket challenge, which I feel like, <laughs> it feels like the past. It, I mean, it definitely was the past. I'm not really sure exactly how long ago that was, but like, it feels like ages. I think centuries. it was only a couple of years because I remember that I was one of those jerks who was like, um, okay, but what about the cause for clean water? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so... He ended up doing a study in there also that was inspired by the ice bucket challenge where a participant would hold their hand under ice water and either say their favorite curses, they were allowed to choose their own, (laughs) which I think is great. That's charming. Yeah. Or like assigned filler words, which I don't know. I feel like they should have been allowed to pick their own filler words too. Well, but I don't know. That's harder to judge because what if their filler words like had some emotional significance to them like they i read some different studies the the uh strength one said that swearing did not increase heart rate in a way that would suggest that it triggered an emotional response or stimulated the the nerve system but richard stevens also did a paper on swearing as a response to pain effect of daily swearing frequency um which found that swearing did increase heart rate so right sort of i guess the most straightforward hypothesis on why swearing would help is that it triggers an emotional response. So you wouldn't want people picking words that like got them really excited, I guess, because that could have an effect. That's true. And I guess it's not really a control if you let the person pick it. Well, I guess also being able to choose your own cuss word does mean that you don't have to say something that you feel uncomfortable saying. Like you don't have to use something that's, for example, especially gendered or something that's like somehow triggering to you. So Yeah, but you also get to pick ones that are like actually meaningful to you. Like <laughs> I mean I mean just like I what? Just an especially meaningful curse word. Like this is the first curse word that anyone ever said to me and it just makes me really emotional to think about it. <laughs> no, not like that, obviously. Just like you, I mean, you know, like, uh, this is another thing that I, like, knew would definitely, definitely come up in this conversation because, like, linguistically interesting things about swear words. But in Quebecois French, mm-hmm. they, mm-hmm. you know, have sort of a complex relationship with the history of, or historical relationship with Catholicism and, and organized religion. So a lot of their most intense swear words are just, like, things that you find in a Catholic church. Like, um, tabernacle, tabernacle is, like their equivalent of like a really intense fuck and but like a french-speaking person from france would not find that to be a taboo so like if you don't let people pick and you know you told a a french-speaking person from france like okay now say tabernacle like that would not presumably affect them in the way that swearing affects them you know Yeah, that's actually really true. Different populations do have different relationships to curse words, even in the United States. And Right, and I mean, definitely within English, like, bloody is much stronger in the UK, but I think that cunt is weaker. Sorry if cunt is too, like, much of a swear word to say. That one's, like, really intense in the US. Yeah, like, I'm pretty uncomfortable with it, personally. Like, you know, it's really loaded for a lot of people who are, like cis women especially yeah no i mean right it's definitely i mean it's it's gendered 
and that's part of it. But right, I think it's also just like even a much stronger taboo than fuck. That that's maybe the only one that like, you know, I'm willing to say it while like talking about curse words linguistically or sociologically, but like I would be very uncomfortable using it as a curse word. Yeah, and this is a separate category from slurs, obviously, especially because like slurs don't work in the same way that curses work, so Right, slurs are also taboo words, but for a different reason. Yeah, so just for like a quick explanation, slurs are usually used specifically against one group of people um, and are often very charged by... What's a good way to say this? (laughs) I mean, they, they tend to be linked to discrimination against a certain group. Oh, yes, thank you. Yeah, so whereas curse words are just like, you know, things you can say. That. Right, sort of like expl- exclamations of strong emotion usually or like intensifiers. They're not usually used with prejudice in mind. Yeah, so they're both taboo language, but for very different reasons, and they work very differently. Anyway, back to science. <laughs> yes, and right, we, we will not say any slurs on this podcast, hopefully because that's actually hate speech and not just linguistically interesting. And there's nothing like the feeling of knowing that you've avoided hate speech with a good friend. Cool. Anyway, what were we talking about science-wise? I guess oh, so. our yeah. question is uh, about strength and, you know, that we have a, a few different experiments all by this one guy, mostly, and his co-authors that are about uh, how cursing as opposed to saying other random words makes you stronger and more able to endure pain and cold and we were wondering if that effectiveness varies by your language and your society's regulation of taboos yeah i actually found something in one of richard stevens's studies the specifically the ice bucket challenge related one that implies that maybe languages with stronger taboos could Uh, increase the effectiveness of swearing, which is that one of the findings from the Ice Bucket Challenge experiment was that the frequency of swearing in your personal real life, like the amount that you would swear in your day-to-day life would change the effectiveness of how long swearing would help you keep your hand in very, very cold ice water. Right. Yeah, I saw something like that too, which means that you would be much better at it than me, but only if you actually chose to swear, which I would be more likely to do. So I feel like it evens out. Yeah, that's true. Um, I will say though, I looked into it and Richard Stevens has said later that he's been having trouble replicating that finding. So we might actually be on even footing. Actually, I might do worse because I won't swear because I just don't think about it. I mean, right. All of this is like pretty, you know, I haven't seen much replication of any of these things. They haven't been studied by that many people. And also, as we've talked about before, like there are some serious problems with the current research practices and kind of the whole scientific method that are under discussion right now, you know, just in like confirmation bias and like big data analysis and how tricky it is to prove real conclusions. So, you know, all of this stuff is still kind of up in the air. We've got some results that say it's true. It's hard to say for sure. Yeah, exactly. So, In general, if we say something, just know that it was made during a time where the main driving force in psychology research was to get stuff published and and to have it be popular. Yeah, that's so unfortunate, right? To make this work, we really need to, like, fix, like, all of tenure. Like, there's (laughs) nothing salvageable about the current system. (laughs) (laughs) On that bright note, 
<laughs> so who did you find other than Richard Stevens? Because I found some stuff related to different languages. And like, I, we're going to talk every episode about how the field of psychology and tenure and research is deeply broken. So <laughs> <laughs> um, I didn't go do a deep dive into stuff about different languages. I did want to cite in relation to, I guess, sort of like almost semantic bleaching of swearing, like, you know, using it in such a way that it, it almost loses meaning and using it a lot. This is a quote from Holy Shit, A Brief History of Swearing by <laughs> Melissa Moore, which is like uh, pop science, lingu- uh, linguistics. It's very fun. Published 2013. And the quote is John Brophy and Eric Partridge, who in 1930 published a collection of British songs and slang from World War One, claimed that soldiers used fucking so often that it began to mean nothing more than, quote, a warning that a noun is coming. (laughs) Um, So, like, it was actually more marked in the slang of British World War I soldiers to not use fucking before a noun. (laughs) Wait, that's incredible. It's so amazing. And I have no idea, like, what the implications of this would be for how fuck is used, but it's just so good. Yeah. Oh, wow. I wonder if they, like... I wonder if they ended up creating new curse words in that context. Like, they must have, right? Yeah, or they must have had other ones that are maybe, like, more intense than fuck. Because, I don't know, I feel like a lot of the time people consider fuck to be, like, the worst English curse word. But as we've already established this episode, it's not in our dialect. So, yeah, I mean, maybe, especially if they were British, maybe, like, bloody was more intense. I don't know. Oh, that's so weird. That's so strange to me, a young American living in this world. <laughs> yeah. I really want to just see some transcripts now of this. Oh, can't do it. Can't do it. Can't do it. Gotta be gotta be entertaining for a podcast for real people <laughs> who don't do linguistics 24-7. Yes. Okay. Anyway, did you have any other... We should probably wrap up the research, So, but did you have something else you wanted to get out there? I've had found a paper um, by... Uh, it's 2010, DeWale. Um, it's called Christ Fucking Shit Merde. Language Preferences for Swearing Among Maximally Proficient Monolinguals. That's a very good title. <laughs> yeah, it's, I love it so much. I wonder how it got published. I guess researchers <laughs> don't care. Anyway. I mean, linguists. Linguists are very open about these things. That's very true. This was more psycholinguistics, which I think is yeah. because it's like largely psychology driven. I think it's a very different field from linguistics. So I am Mm -hmm. surprised that a psychologist got away with this. (laughs) So, yeah, so this paper asked if native-like proficiency in an L2 led to swearing in the L2 being regarded as and used at the same frequency as in their L1. L1 and L2 refer to a first language and a second language. So L1 is your first language and L2 is any language you learned after your L2 that is not a native language or after your L1 that is not a native language. That's yeah, that's super super interesting. Yeah, so the way that they tested this was that They had people take the Berkeley Expressivity Questionnaire, which, first of all, just collected socio-bio and linguistics backgrounds, the backgrounds for each person. Uh, It asked questions on language choice in emotional context and like your language attitudes towards your own language, and also just asked a lot of open-ended questions about the way that you communicate your emotion. For the first part of this experiment, they found 386 multilingual people online to take this test. And the breakdown of it was like 
almost 300 women and 98 men, which isn't great. Hmm. And then they also did a smaller study in which they were in which 20 people were interviewed by the research assistant, Benedetta Bassetti, which I think it's really sweet that they named their research assistant in the paper. But (laughs) that is nice. Yeah. But when they were talking about the breakdowns in there, they mostly focused on the languages that people spoke and the paper didn't tell you race or gender or anything like that, which I thought was sort of a glaring omission, especially because the use of taboo language varies strongly between men and women. Yeah, no, that's very true. I mean, it's kind of like maybe they just didn't find anything significant of difference between those groups, but I feel like they should mention that if so. Yeah, and they did find a a difference between those two groups, which is that women felt that curses were more intense than men were on an emotional standpoint. Uh, Yeah, I did read in some other sources that men tend to swear more than women, which makes sense with our societal norms and patriarchy. Yeah, exactly. So I don't know. I thought that that probably should have been mentioned, but that's fine. We all do research in different ways. Um, (laughs) But anyway, so the interviewing asked the question, what language do you usually swear in? And do swears carry different weight in your different languages? So... Basically, everyone agreed that they swear more in their L1 and that their L1 swears carried more weight. Their attitudes towards foreign swear words, I think, was really interesting because a lot of them said that they actually, after saying that they used their first language more often to swear, they would say that they also like used foreign swear words a lot because they were considered more acceptable to themselves. Huh. Yeah, I mean, I guess that does make some sense. Yeah, because, like, your swear words are largely influenced by your culture, which is something that I hadn't really thought about. Right. So, yeah, I mean, if you have a strong... I I guess, like, I don't really have a strong internal taboo against most of, like, my culture's swear words, but I can see that if you did, like you do, you know, it would be easier to use an equivalently strong swear in a different language because it wouldn't feel as personal to you. Actually, I don't have any personal internalized taboos toward our, towards our swear words. I just don't think about using them. They just do not occur to me as a thing I could say. Hmm. Um, but yeah, there were a lot of people who, not a lot, it was a 20-person interview situation, but there were three people who <laughs> said that they didn't really swear in their native languages, but they would swear in English. But I will say two of those people were women whose first languages were like Arabic and Mandarin and like one man whose first language was like Kurdish. And I think that especially with women, a lot of cultures find that to be feminine, you aren't really allowed to use those terrible... Right, they see swear words as crude in a way that would be coded masculine and not ladylike. Yeah. So I'm wondering how, like, I think that this part of the study should have had a lot more people giving their input. It does add credence to the notion that, like, maybe the fact that you're carrying these words in a different, like, part of your head, if that makes sense. Uh, uh-huh. if, like, maybe you will be stronger and withstand that ice bucket challenge for longer if you just plunge your arm in there and swear in Mandarin. Yeah, I mean, that's a really good... I think that's what we should test in our experiment. I mean, we could also test, like, 
you know, with monolingual people or just, you know, people across cultures, how do different swears work and, like, different swears that are, you know, relevant culturally or whatever. But I think the most interesting sort of, like, small-scale thing that we could do is take multilingual people, have them swear in their language and another language, and test, you know, like, if their strength is increased by one versus the other. I do think that we would have to take people who are natively bilingual in two languages because these people all had L1 and L2s, but I think that it should be someone who has two L1s. I mean, it depends on exactly what our hypothesis is or what we're trying to test. That's true. Would you like to create a hypothesis in the experiment whole section of our <laughs> podcast. Sounds good. It, it sounds like you might already be working with one. Do you have a hypothesis? I would say that our hypothesis is that people whose languages have curse words with higher levels of taboo than others are going to gain more from cursing. And I think that this will also have a gender difference in cultures where women are not supposed to curse or If there are cultures where men aren't supposed to curse also, you know, equality. Yeah, I mean, it's not really the scope of the the study, but I do wonder if there are languages or cultures where men are less supposed to curse than women, or even where it's equal. I have no idea. I think that there must be languages where it's equal, and I think that there must be languages where men aren't supposed to curse, or there are probably languages where men and women have different curses. Yeah, possibly. I mean, I don't. I have no idea. I wouldn't say that I definitely know any of those things. Yeah, I'm gonna do some research later. Probably, this is very interesting to me. <laughs> anyway, yeah, definitely. But yeah, no, I think I think that's a good hypothesis. The tricky part is measuring the strength of a taboo. Yeah, um, which is something that I was thinking about. You know, I I mean, you could almost sort of like I I know this is totally cyclical. But, like, use the physical response that you get from saying a taboo word to measure the strength of the taboo. Like, specifically, if you believe the result, which is unconfirmed, that saying a taboo a lot raises your heart rate, you would think that a stronger taboo might do that more, have more of a physical response. Abby, you can't use your findings to prove the thing that you use to test okay, your findings. But no, I mean, like, the heart rate thing is a separate thing from the strength thing, but yes. I mean, so, like, the only other option would be, I mean, or we could just, like, flip the study and, like, go the other direction and say, like, can we determine how strong taboos are by using physical responses? But the only other option that I could see would be to do, like, a really intense survey where we ask people about their linguistic background and their cultural background, and then we ask them, I guess, to like rate how severe they consider different taboos to be. Yeah, I think that that would probably be a better place to start, even though it is a boring survey. But we would have to separate by demographic in a lot of ways. Um, so, yeah, definitely. Yeah, because for reasons we already mentioned. Um, But yeah, so I think that would be a good place to start to get the data on exactly which languages have the most level of taboo, if any. Yeah, I mean, I don't like, I don't even know if it, you know, I think it might be very hard to really compare across language, just like level of taboo, because you're always going to have a word for, you know, a dialect, a demographic in a language that's like the worst one, you know? That's true. And, And it's hard to say like, the, how the worst ones compare to each other. Like, how do you even test that? 
That is a good point. We could also just do it based on the way that different cultures treat their curse words. For example, in the United States, every curse word gets bleeped out of everything and you aren't allowed to curse on television, whereas in Great Britain, cursing on television is, as far as I can tell, pretty much fine as long as it's not well, for they children. Well, they have a watershed thing. There's a time on TV where after that it's okay. Oh, okay. That it's makes like sense. like 9 p.m. or something. Okay. So, right. I mean, it's hard. Like, it, I think it's hard to do it legally because also you might just have, you know, sort of parts of culture that are overly Puritan and those are the ones that are in charge of the government, but that might not actually represent how people use language. Well, that's true, but it's still a reflection and something that creates cultural norms if it's that widespread. So it should still be considered, but what you're saying is very valid. I mean, another thing that you could measure would be uh, this would be something that I think you would have to do with quite a large sum- sample size across a lot of different sort of demographics within a, a culture and a community, but just record a lot of talking and uh, measure the frequency with which different curse words are used. Because if there are ones that many people know but few people use, those are probably intense ones. Oh, yeah. And get native speakers to evaluate the data and like mark how many curse words and which ones were being Mm -hmm. used. Oh, that would be okay. That sounds good. Let's do that. Thanks, Unlimited Funding. (laughs) (laughs) Perfect. All right. And then that's part one of our study. Part two is how we're going to test it. So what are we putting these people through? (laughs) I mean, I don't want to do any of the pain tolerance ones. I don't want to cause people pain. Yeah, like that's my problem, too. That's the wall that I'm hitting. But, well, but we could, I think, do the strength ones. We could just be like, okay, say your curse word a lot and then lift this thing. Yeah, I mean, that's we could just repeat it, I guess. <sighs> well, that's not exactly, you know, he did an exercise bike. Like, replicating studies is good science. Yeah, I know. I just thought maybe we could breathe some new life into this old concept. This old concept <laughs> from literally four <laughs> months ago. it's so tired the world's moved on abby everyone's all about lifting carts off of off of mayors now or something i don't know what i tried to make a lameness reference oh (laughs) but i did the opposite no the mayor did the lifting i thought yeah the mayor did the lifting but i was just trying to be easy breezy you know also, why, like, Les Mis is from the 1800s. Why is everyone about that now? <laughs> okay, wait. You were about Les Mis much more than I was, I think. Specifically I was also from- about Les Mis very late because most people were about Les Mis when the movie came out. And I was about Les Mis two years later than that. I was random. about Les Mis in sixth grade when I saw it at the Hedgerow Theater. That's fun. I The only time <laughs> I've seen it live, I'm pretty sure is my rival high school's production of it when I was in ninth grade, I think. Well, that's... It was really good. I was upset really? about how good it was. Yeah. Like this? I mean, my standards were lower because I was a small child, but, like, I that school, they were just, like, really good at everything, and it made me very angry. Also, like, I... Okay, I'm not going to get into this rant on the podcast. They were just very well-funded. <laughs> No, yeah, high schools with a lot of funding that do everything very well make me angry, even though I know I should be happy for the kids who go to them. But anyway. Yeah. Uh, Anyway, yeah, so I guess we're just going to help Mr. Stevens replicate his study. It's fine. 
<laughs> but also we're gonna do very interesting linguistic research into how intense different swears are in different languages. That's very true. I'm really excited about the intense linguistics research. I wonder if the intensity of a swear also, like, I wonder if that would increase or decrease its linguistic uniqueness. This is not part of the study. Like, we can't do part no. of the study. <laughs> but... Yeah, this is a different thing now. And we should probably wrap up. So, Amy, would you like to speculate wildly about the results of this study? Um, I think that I am going to start doing the study and then my grandma's going to find out and she's going to call me and she's just going to be so disappointed and I'm going to have to leave the study. So I don't know. Yeah, that's a good point. I don't know how my parents will feel about it. I mean, my dad would be fine with this study. I don't know <laughs> doesn't like swearing so much. I don't know if she'll listen to this episode of the podcast, in which case, thanks for doing that, mom. <laughs> <laughs> love you abby's mom thanks for your support <laughs> love you, mom. <laughs> like comment and review <laughs> <laughs> please rate and review us on itunes <laughs> all right abby who do you think is gonna fund this study <laughs> um i think maybe tv producers because they want to know what they can get away with mm, good call good call good call wow i don't think that we do anything else in this podcast well, we, we do the wrap-up thing where we thank people. Yeah, time sure flies when you talk about linguistics. It's true. So this is where we say thank you to the Crips for our opening song, Marie Curie, from the album Discover Science, and point you to our Tumblr, More Research Required at Tumblr.com, and our Twitter, More Research underscore. Uh, you can also email us at moreresearchcast at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you on email or Twitter. And also, we would love it if you rated and reviewed us, as we already mentioned. That would be very kind. Yeah. So, with all that said, uh, it's about time to wrap up. Abby, do you want to play us out? If not, pretend I didn't say this, and I will. Do you have a good one? You can go. Uh, I sure don't have a good one, but I do have a one. Go for it. So until next time, uh, look up the route between your house and your Craigslist dresser before you go to pick it up and stay curious. I didn't tell the dresser story on the podcast, but it's a long, involved story where I wish that I knew how to curse, because I would have. You can, like, teach yourself to curse. Do, is there, like, a five-step program? Is there some kind no, of... No, you just start doing it. Is there an MOOC that I can take? <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I don't know. If that, that was very funny to me. I don't know if that would actually be funny to anyone listening to this. I'm going to put it in there, though. <laughs> Okay, do it, like, after the theme music. Hey, Richard. Hey, Kelly. 
Do you like animation? Heck yes. What's your favorite animated show? Naruto. You're wrong. Oh. If you want to get the right answers, come join our resident experts, Richard and Kelly, as they discuss, comment, and dissect anything and everything pertaining to animation. The show is called Animate the World, and you can find us on iTunes, where we upload every single Tuesday with a new episode. Yeah. And then you won't be a sad little lonely nerd anymore. Like me. Don't be like us. Don't be like us. See you then. See you then.